Hi, guys. So before we jump into God's word, I want to let you know what's going on within this community. Normally, it's a bearded gentleman who never wears shorts or sandals is up here, but he's actually becoming an official member of Rimrock in like 10 minutes, which is probably odd for a lot of you to hear, but I'm going to be telling you more and more about that in the months to come. It's not just an outdated tradition, but there is actually value in committing to a church. But what I want to focus on right now is this idea that we are the church. You're going to be hearing that over and over and over from so many different people, but that is the culture of Rimrock downtown, that we are the church. Church is not a wall, does not contain walls in a building, but it's a community being transformed by Jesus, right? And so therefore the church exists because of us, right? We are the church and the church exists for us. It is here so that way we can support and encourage one another come alongside and help each other, empower one another. And it's also here so that way we can come alongside and help people do their God-given ministry. So I'm going to tell you about two examples of that God-given ministry. The first one, Derek and Shelby, they started a skate ministry like 15, 16 years ago down in Colorado, opened up their own skate park in Colorado Springs, but felt called by God to come here two years ago to do the exact same thing. As of last Tuesday, skate church has started again. If you'd show that, Josh. I went down there. There was like 30 kids, right, all gathered around in this church parking lot to eat pizza, skateboard, enjoy one another. And then Derek had them sit down. We passed out pizza, and he spoke to them about Jesus, complete strangers. But this is what he's doing every Tuesday from 530 to 730. It's such a sweet thing to get to see, even more so to be a part of. So you know what I'm insinuating in this. Tuesdays at 5.30 at Calvary Chapel. It's right off of East St. Pat. Just show up. If that doesn't work for you, on Monday, 5 o'clock, show the next picture, there's a really unique thing happening. So there's a a club within the police department that does things for kids every Monday from 5 to 8. They are blocking off 6th Street right by Main Street Square on Monday so that way Derek and Shelby can do their skate ministry from 5 to 8. Come down, hang out, see what's going on. You can see firsthand what he's doing and even better, you can become a part of it and support him in his ministry. This is a big deal. You're going to be hearing about this a lot. I have dreams of what Rimrock Downtown and GMP, it's the name of their ministry, will become. If you've got questions on that, talk to me, talk to Derek, especially when he comes back all high and proper, member of Rimrock. <laughs> the second thing is that the church is here so that way we can find avenues to um, exhibit or use our gifts, our talents. Jonathan, please come up. Jonathan and his wife, Achara, and their four kids have been a part of Rimrock downtown for a year or so, would you say? Something like that. Yeah, he's a, a teacher by education, an admin, he's, he's started schools, he's also been a preacher on uh, the Pine Ridge Reservation. And I wanted to give him an opportunity to use his gifts, to share his talent, right? This is why the church is here. That's why these younger gentlemen are playing up here, right? This is an avenue. So here's Jonathan.
Good morning, everybody. We'll give the kids a chance to get out. It gives me a chance to catch my breath. My heart is racing. Um, I figured if I got you to laugh, everything else would be easier, so I'm going to try. And if you don't laugh, then it's all downhill from here. Um, a woman took her grandson into town one day to run some errands. And about midday, she thought they were getting hungry, so they should stop at one of their favorite diners and grab something to eat. So they ordered their food. She helped him up onto the stool. And she said, you know, Sonny, we'll just have a silent prayer today. So she bows her head, and she sits for a while. And she opens her eyes, and she gets ready to eat. And she realizes that his head is still down. So she says, well, I'll wait. And she waits, and she waits. And then he slowly opens his eyes, and he starts to eat the sandwich. And she said, Sonny. That was a long time to pray. What were you talking about? And he's in the, the way of a child. He looks at her and says, how should I know? It was a silent prayer. And, um, we're going to pray real quick just because I don't feel like I can do this without it. So if you would bow your heads, we'll just say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be here in front of your people. And thank uh, Brother Evan for inviting me. I thank uh, Chris and Boomer and Derek uh, for their part in this uh, series, for laying the groundwork for today. I just pray, Lord, that um, you get my head and my heart right uh, and get me out of the way. I've done my preparation, but uh, if there's anything here you don't want me to say or there's something you want to add, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take the reins and you do that. So uh, bless us, bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we're in Acts, as Evan said, and I guess I should do what everyone else does and talk a little bit about what Acts is about, give you some context. Um, you probably know a lot about it, but uh, it's called Acts or the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. But really, it's only about two of them. It's Peter and Paul. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, John is only mentioned three times and, and merely as uh, Peter's co-worker. James is only referred to in his martyrdom and no, no other of the eight Acts is even mentioned and technically, it's a continuation of the gospel. And so we're flipping from how Jesus walked on earth and what he did to how the Holy Spirit walks with men and allows them to do great things. Um, one of the things I think that's interesting about it is, you know, the Bible has a lot of um, symmetry, a lot of you know, numbers. People joke and say that God is a mathematician. Well, we, normally we talk about Jesus' life, we're talking about, about 33 years. Well, when I was doing my research, uh, they said that the book of Acts covers 80, 30 to 80, 63. So about 33 years. So we have 33 years of Jesus walking, and we have 33 years of the way his Holy Spirit enabled men to walk. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Paul... You know, I said Peter and Paul were the main two, but even there, Paul is the main dude, right? Like if we were to say anyone other than God was the main character of this book, it's Paul. Paul was the um, apostle to the Gentiles, so everyone other than the Jews. One of the leading subjects of this book is the extension. It's the first extension of the Bible beyond, or the, uh, God's word, beyond the Jews into the Gentile world. And what's interesting about it is uh, Luke is the author, so the same author of the Gospel of Luke. And many believe that he actually was a Gentile. Because if you go to Colossians 4.11, it actually, um, 4.11 and then 14, uh, uh, they're writing all about all of the people of the circumcision who are walking. And then he starts another list. So there's reason to believe that Luke wasn't a Jew. 
And so it, it stands to reason that the Gentile, the first and only recorded Gentile author in the Bible, is, is introducing the extension of the Bible to the Gentiles. I thought that was pretty cool. So if you will, join with me, Acts 4, 32 to 37. We're going to read a little bit about an awesome church. You know, I, th- I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Miss D spoke this morning about how the children are our future church. And so we're going to look back at the past church and figure out how it lays the groundwork for us to be the present church, the church that our city and our community really need. So we have Acts 4, 32 through 37. And the Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but, that, uh, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, I've also seen it interpreted as the exhorter, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is the point where Evan is going to call up the deacons and they're going to collect your keys and your deeds so, so we can sell your houses. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what I like about this story is that um, it's, an exempt, it's an extraordinary example of what people do when they have faith, right? But what's important to remember is we're not going to collect your keys. We're not asking you to sell your houses because this example was voluntary, temporary, and limited, right? So the reason we know it was voluntary is because in the next chapter, I think Chris is going to talk about it, so I'm not going to take his thunder, but an Ananias and Sapphira sell their house, their land, and they go to turn the money over. They don't turn it all over, and they lie about it. Um, And Peter doesn't get mad that they kept the money. He gets mad that they lied. And he says in Acts 5, 3, 4, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? So he's saying, while you had it, it was yours. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? So, so even when you sold it, it was still yours. So why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? So it was, it was voluntary. He didn't make them sell it. He didn't make them give it. It was their choice. The issue was not that they wouldn't give it all. It was that they lied about it. So I said it was voluntary. It was also temporary, right? Uh, Philip, who was one of the seven, if you remember... There was a point where, you know, the community is getting larger. They need to feed people. And they're like, well, we can't preach and feed people, so we need some help. And so they uh, uh, call seven men, kind of like the first deacons, to serve people, to care their needs, minister to them, so that the preachers could preach and everyone else got what they needed. Well, Philip, he was part of this community when everyone was selling their house. But then if you uh, go forward to Acts 21, 8, it says, and I'm not saying all this, so you get to flip your pages. And I didn't put it up here because I was like, God might change my mind, and I don't want to have stuff up there, and I'm not talking about it. So, <laughs> But it says, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. 
So this wasn't forever. It was temporary. And I don't mean it was short necessarily. I just mean that it was time bound. There was a time for which we were selling our homes and we were com uh, combining our resources. And then there was a time for us to have houses. Uh, in Acts 6, just so you see where I'm talking about, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. And it lists them. And Philip is one of them. So even one of the dudes who was called upon to serve in that church eventually owns a house. So it's not forever. The other part of that I just want to mention is owning homes actually became an important asset for early believers because at that time until uh, Constantine, until the time of Constantine, there was a lot of persecution to Christians. I think we have a lot of freedom now in America. We can gather. We can do a lot of stuff. But that wasn't always the way. So the houses were like an asset because it was a place where you could meet privately and not be exposed to oppression, not be exposed to imprisonment and beating. So this wasn't forever. It was temporary. Uh, the last piece was it was limited. We have a whole New Testament, and we talk about a lot of different churches. There's no record that anybody else was doing this. So this wasn't like, you know, God moved every preacher and every community and said, we, no more houses. This was specific to this area. So it was voluntary, uh, voluntary, temporary, and limited. If you look in Colossians, Corinthians, excuse me, 16, 19, it says, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the, the church that is in their house. Colossians 14, excuse me, 4, 15 says, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. So we see that this was voluntary, temporary, and limited. So you say, so then what was the purpose? The purpose was, it was an extraordinary example. And that's the why, right? If we're talking about, uh, what's his name? Simon Sinek, what's your why? You know, you build a company, or you're starting something new. Start in the middle of the circle. What's the why? What is it that gets your heart racing? Well, their why was to be an extraordinary, extraordinary example of power to the community. You have to remember, the Jews were not landless people. They were not like uh, Bedouins or, or nomads. They had homes. Now, this time, things are a little bit different, but if you remember the promised land, a big part of it was knowing what your lineage was and where your land was. So this was not a foreign concept to own land, to have a place to call your own. And in fact, it was one of the symbols that said you were part of the community. Where was your land? Who was your dad? Right? So when an upstart group of believers who are following this dude who was just crucified because of blasphemy, says, we're selling on our houses, and we're putting the money together, we're giving it to our church. People take notice. And once they notice, they can listen. And what did they take notice of? Well, if you go back to the original passage, there's a handful of bullets, right? Like, the first line is, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Now, that sounds like a novel concept today, right? I, think, I feel like... You look, you watch the news, check your Facebook feed. There's not a lot of one mind and one heart, one soul. Another bullet. What did they notice? They noticed that neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. So anything that they had was available to anybody who needed it. What did they notice? They noticed that they had all things in common. They noticed that with great power gave the apostles witness. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. These regular guys, these unlearned men, all of a sudden are commanding the presence of, of 3,000 people at a time. Great grace was upon them. Neither was there any among them that lacked. What did they notice? They noticed that for as many as were possessors of land, they sold them. They brought their prices and laid it at people's feet. 
Why is it that people don't give to church today? Oh, I don't trust the church. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Right? That's always the excuse. I, always, I think uh, what it really is is you don't trust that the Lord can take that money and do something amazing with it. That's what it really is, right? Because if you, if you don't trust the people, you shouldn't be going there. Find another church. Find one you do trust and put the money in. Right? What did they notice? They noticed that distribution was made unto every man according to he had need. And we're talking about crazy times, huh? Coronavirus, people losing their jobs, people losing their businesses, people getting sick, frontline workers, uh, uh, putting their health at risk. There's a lot of need in our community. Could you imagine what Rapid City would look like if every man, woman, and child had everything they needed? So they take notice of all these things, and so in taking notice, maybe they hear the message. And in hearing the message, maybe they join this early, join this early church movement, and in joining this early church, maybe they take on a role. Maybe they started skateboard ministry back then, huh? These selfless acts of faith provided a launch pad for the apostles and others to spread the gospel to unreached people in unreached places. You know, have you ever gone to, um, what's that place called? Um, Fuji? Have you ever gone to Fuji for hibachi? Right? The selling of the houses, that wasn't the stake. The selling of the houses was the fire show. You know, and everything is, the flames are going up and everyone's looking. You go there for the show, but you stay to eat. That's what the housing the selling of houses was. It got people's attention. It enabled the apostles to move. But the meat was God's word. That was the message. That was the point. And you think, well, that's a, that's a great example. But, like, that's really huge. I don't know if I can do that. We have other examples. We just saw one. We have one out there on the, um, on the couch. You know, Mark runs Loyal Plumbing. He just, oh, snap. I'm in trouble. No, you're not in trouble. He runs Loyal Plumbing, and he told us recently that he runs a Bible study at his job. Most of us go to work, and nobody would know what you believe. Right? I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. I don't. We're so worried about people being uncomfortable that we kind of bucket or compartmentalize our faith. Mark, they do Bible study at Loyal Plumbing. And what I think is cool about it is it's voluntary. It's temporary, and it's limited, right? It's voluntary. They don't have to do it. They choose to do it. It's temporary because my guess is that if he ever sold the company, maybe the next guy wouldn't do it. So it's, I don't mean temporary short-term. Again, I say time-bound, right? And it's specific because no, the other plumbing companies don't have to do it. I don't know of any other plumbing company that do it, does it, but he does it. And he talked about what value it brought to him. He said people go to his um, company now, and they interact with him. They go, who's in charge here? Who runs this place? And he's like, I do. But nobody knows because all of these workers who are part of the Bible study have a sense of ownership. They belong. This is more than just a place they go to and clock in and clock out. And so it's changed the whole culture of his business. And he's super successful, not necessarily because of the Bible study, but I don't think that hurts. I don't think that hurts one bit. You know, we talk a lot of, we've talked a bit about Derek's skateboard ministry. I think that's super cool. I will never do it. The last time I touched the skateboard was like 20 years ago. I put my foot on it for one second, and the next second I was looking at the clouds. And then I got up like this, and the skateboard was just rolling down the street by itself. It looked real good, but I was like, man, it would look better if I was on it. <laughs> but what I think is even cooler than that is he asked me the other, uh, a few weeks ago now to join his Bible study. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll do that. What time? 6.30 on Wednesday. At night? No, in the morning. That's when I wake up, dude. 
Um, but I said, oh, 630? I don't know, man. He's, I said, oh, I might be in bed. He said, well, that's the point. He's like, you know, I'm working at the church. We've got the skate ministry. We got baseball. His baseball's coming every night, five, six nights a week. 630 is the time when everyone's still asleep and I can get up and we're not taking away from anything else. So I joined. And we've been having an incredible time. There's like five or six uh, guys, all of us in different stages. Some of us got little babies. Some of our kids are like, you know, going off to college. But it's been really cool. But it's a sacrifice of his time that he made for this to happen. Um, some of you may know my wife, Achara. You might know Adeline Delorme. They recently learned of a group that was cooking for uh, folks in our community who have been impacted by coronavirus. A lot of them are first-line workers. They're the, the spouses and children of those first-line workers. And so the other day, there were like 25 people in various stages of dealing with the virus and no one to cook for them. And they cooked 25 meals. And they're part of a circle of men and women who are leveraging their skills and their talents in cooking to bless other people, taken out of their time, taken out of some of their money, but they're doing it just because they, they want to do it. And I think these are cool stories, but these are individual stories. And I think about the church in Acts, and these weren't individuals. These were, this was a group. This was a community. And we see the power of when individual action becomes part of a concerted effort of, of a group. So there's an, um, a call to action because we have the opportunity to become an extraordinary example for Rapid City. You know, at the center of the church in Acts, and just so you know, if I go longer than you're used to, I apologize. My, my church experience is, very, is varied. I grew up in the Catholic church where you might get a 15 or 10-minute homily. And then when I got saved and became like a born-again believer, I was in the Baptist church. And you better pack a lunch. So like, <laughs> if I'm somewhere in the middle there, I, you know, I'm going to try to lean this way, but I apologize. At the center of the church in Acts 4, 32 to 37, it was a redistribution of funds. And I asked, what would happen if we did the same? You don't have to start with a house. What if we started with something small? So I love a Starbucks refresher. Have you ever seen one of those things? Okay, so you, you get them, and they're like so vibrant in color. They're made from the uh, water that they run through green coffee beans. I hate coffee. I don't know what it is. Everyone in my family loves coffee. It's a big thing in Cape Verdean culture. I can't stand it. But I like a, a Starbucks refresh. It's so fruity and sweet and delicious. And you still get a caffeine boost. I love them. I also like London Fogs from Essence of Coffee and P from Pure Bean. Um, and I like sparkling tea from Caribou Coffee. I mean, you get the gist, right? I like sweet, ju I like sweet drinks. Maybe you don't like to indulge in fruity teas. Maybe you like a donut from Jerry's. Right? But what does one of these things cost? A refresher, a grande. I never get a grande. I never get it. I always get like the super, whatever the heck it is, the Trenta. You got to like, it like, looks like a brontosaurus side of ribs from the Flintstones. Um, but, I always, but a grande refresher is four bucks and 49 cents. So what if once a month when I got the, the, the desire for one, instead of putting the $4.49 uh, and giving it to Starbucks, I brought it to church. If I only did that once a month, that would be 53 bucks and 88 cents. If nine of you did it with me, that'd be $538 for the church. I bet you Derek could do a lot with that down in the skate ministry. If 24 of you did it with me, we'd have 1,347 bucks. We could send it to a, few uh, to a few missionaries if we wanted. And if 99 people from here and from up on the hill did that with me, we'd have 5,388 bucks. I bet Evan could do something with that.
The church at the center of Acts sold their land and redistributed funds. What if we didn't worry about funds? What if we thought about time? Evan asked us to do an audit on our time. I think it was last week. So I thought about it, and I was like, man, I'm super busy. I've got four kids. I've got two dogs. Um, and then this last week and this week, I'm doing a, um, a, youth, a virtual youth design camp for indigenous kids. We've got kids from North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Washington. And we're doing it from 10 to 3 Mountain. And I'm like, oh, what, what, I don't have time for this. Uh, Evan, thank you very much. But I do, uh, <laughs> I do walk my dogs in the morning. And I usually call my dad. My dad's retired. He gets kind of bored, so I check in on him. Actually, probably it's more I'm bored, so I call him. Uh, and I thought, well, I have a, it's a 30-minute walk. What if I took the first 15 minutes and I just didn't put any music on? I didn't call my dad. I just listened and, and, and you know, prayed about something and then gave God the rest of that 15 minutes. And I've been doing that. And that's why this, uh, my notes are only like seven pages long and not 14, so you should be thankful. God was like, cut that, that cut that, yeah. cut that. <laughs> but if... 15 minutes each morning, I do it seven days a week, that's 105 minutes of time that I can, uh, additional minutes that I can give to God that I wasn't giving before. If nine of you did that with me, it's 17 and a half hours. That's roughly the equivalent of a part-time staffer added to the church here. What could we do with that? If 24 of you did it with me, 43.75 additional hours. That's more than a full-time worker added to the staff. And if 99 of you did it with me, that's 175 additional hours, which is roughly the equivalent of a full-time worker's time for a month. We could get a 13th month out of the year in terms of what we could provide to the church if we could all carve out 15 minutes. So what I'm asking, the call to action is, will you commit to doing a time audit? Would you commit to doing a spending audit? What is your Starbucks refresher that you could give to the church? What's your 15 minutes during your walk in the morning that you could give to the church? It might be more. It might be less. And you might say, well, it's only five minutes. It's only $5. What's God going to do with that? Remember that this was not about one hero. This was about the whole church. It wasn't about one person selling their home. It's what happened when they all did it. When they all provided the platform for Paul, Peter, and the others to launch from to do what they needed to do. The other part of it is it doesn't have to stop there. Once you give up the fruit tea, what else could we give up? Evan talked about this too. He said, we, we don't, what's boredom in America in 2020? I thought about that for a while. I think, I think you know, how many of you have like iPhones? Every week on your iPhone, like on like Sunday, usually, I get an alert that tells me how much time I spent on it. And if you click on it, it doesn't just, it's so embarrassing. It doesn't even tell you just how much time you've been on it. It, asks you, it tells you how many times on average you open your phone. Like hundreds of times a day. Like I'm standing in line and I'm bored and I go, oh. open this app, check it out, just close. Like, like literally, I can't even afford to be bored because I have this computer in my pocket and I want something to do. What if we, we use that time, right? How many of you have a Netflix subscription, a Hulu subscription, a Disney Plus, or ESPN Plus? What if you gave one of your streaming uh, subscriptions up for the church? And so instead of sending $8.99 to whatever, isn't it, Reed, whatever, Hastings at Netflix, you send your $8.99 to church on a monthly basis, on top of your regular, your giving. What could we do? So I want to close 45 minutes later, hour later. <laughs> 
I want to close by sharing another example, an extraordinary example of what happens when a group of people come together voluntarily, temporarily, and in a limited fashion to do something. Evan, uh, I'm talking about Evan a lot. Evan's like, he really listens. <laughs> I was a teacher, and I learned that teachers are the worst audience ever. So I try to be good about listening, taking notes. We are. We're so critical. Oh, my God. PD in front of teachers is the worst. Um, but Evan mentioned the civil rights movement last week, and it got me thinking about a book I had recently read called Good Trouble by this guy named Christopher Knox, and he's a, an illustrator. So it's like, it's really cool. It's very vi uh, visual, a lot of drawings and stuff. It like really brings the civil rights movement back to life. And what's also cool about it is that it was called, like I said, Good Trouble. And Good Trouble was one of the favorite phrases of John Lewis, the honorable congressman that we lost like last week. So it's really just cool that all of these like, touch points are coming together for me. I thought it was neat. But when you think about civil rights movement, like this is a talk, we're talking about a group of people who came together and changed the face of our country and in so doing changed the world. Because right? a lot of other countries look at us as an example, the shining city on a hill. When you think about civil rights movement, it's easy to see it as one huge effort, but it really is a series of smaller efforts led in communities that were responsive to specific community contexts, right? Not everyone was required to do it, and in fact, if you go back and watch any of the documentaries, we know that not everyone was for it, right? But the way I connect it is just like the book of Acts, we talk about Paul and Peter, but there were all these people who sold their houses to make that work possible. Behind Martin Luther King and all the others, there were regular people who made it happen. The little people, right? So we know about Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Reverend Ralph Abernathy, Andrew Young, who's now a, um, he's been an ambassador, uh, John Lewis, on and on and on. But there were also women. You know, Rosa Parks, Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer. They were farmers. They were teachers. They were secretaries. Septima Clark. There were, it wasn't just black people. We know that too, right? There were white people. There were Jews who supported this work. There were the six of the original 13 freedom riders were white. Joan Trumpower Mulholland was one of those freedom riders. And in addition to freedom riding, she sat in at lunch counters. There's an uh, iconic picture of her getting stuff dumped on her because she was brave enough to join in in that community. She was arrested more than once for her work. These were volunteers putting their, as John Lewis would say, putting their body in the gears of the system. It was temporary. Do you know how long the Freedom Riders, or the Freedom Rides lasted? I didn't realize it. Seven months. Seven months. They got on buses, black and white together, to challenge the Supreme Court ruling that said that it was unlawful to, um, to uh, it was unlawful to discriminate in uh, interstate travel. So they got on buses and they drove across the country to see what would happen. Seven months. You know how long the Montgomery bus boycott lasted? Remember, this is uh, Rosa Parks, wouldn't give up her seat. And from there, they boycotted the buses. 381 days. It's about a year. It's about a year. It was temporary. I bet it felt like a long time for the bus company. <laughs> but it was temporary. Time bound. And it was limited. Not every community engaged in every action. Not every community had a sit-in at a lunch counter. Not every community had a bus boycott. Not every community had a freedom ride. They used the action that fit the context of the community. Just like in Acts, not every person sold their house. It was that particular group. Furthermore, many of the actions that they did uh, use in the South didn't work in the North. That's why when uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated around that time, 
he had been spending a lot of his time thinking about what do we have to do differently for the north? How do we get this to work, right? So he, because he knew it was limited. I mean, he knew this Bible was probably better than, 10 times better than I did. So he knew that. And he was trying to change his practices before he was killed. The civil rights movement, or more accurately, the seminal moments and achievements of the movement were all voluntary, temporary, and limited, just like the book of Acts. And just like the book of Acts, they stand as an extraordinary example of what our nation for our nation as we continue to strive for progress and growth in the area of civil rights. We have the opportunity now to stand as an extraordinary example for our city, for our state, and for maybe the nation and the church as well. We too are bound by the same parameters. It's got to be voluntary. It has to be temporary, meaning it's, we don't set the time, but it's not going to be forever because practices will change. One day we won't be in charge and these kids will be in charge and they might have new practices, but it will be for time and it will be limited. We have no guarantee that any other church will do what we do. We can't even guarantee that the, the guys up on a hill will agree with us, but we have the call. The issue isn't what anyone else will do, but whether we're bold enough, courageous enough, and have enough faith to try. At the end of Good Trouble, the author muses how people will walk through the museums, they'll read the books, and they'll be like, wow, civil rights, this is incredible. I wonder what I would have done if I had been alive. And after spending so much time meeting people who had lived through those things, people who had survived the, the uh, beatings on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, he said, the civil rights movement isn't over. You're living in it. So it's not about what would you have done. It's what will you do? As we look back on Acts 4, 32, 37, at these early believers who were so fired up about their faith that they sold their homes, it may make you wonder, if I was alive during Acts, would I have sold my house? Would I have put everything in the middle? Would I have laid it at the apostles' feet? To which I respond, the Holy Spirit is still acting. He is still moving in people of great faith. We are living in the book of Acts. So the question isn't, what would you have done, but what will you do? Heavenly Father, I pray that if anything I said could be of use, that you would hook it in their hearts. Hook it in their hearts. Don't let it be just a feel-good Sunday, but let them carry it with them into this week. I pray that we would all take up the challenges that have been laid down. Do a time audit. Do a finance audit. Where are we spending our time, our money? Do a talent audit. I can't skate. Derek does. That's why he does what he does. I don't, I don't work on pipes. Mark does. That's why he brought the bio study into that working environment. But what are their gifts? What are their talents, Lord? Help them to see, help each of us see how you can use our knitting, our reading, our writing, our singing for the furtherance of your work here. Look at that. The preacher's got his phone on. No, it's not my phone. It was my watch. But I pray, God, that you would use each and every one of us, that you would work in our hearts to figure out how we could contribute. Again, we're living in acts, Lord. You know that as well as anyone. And it's not about what has been done, but what you can do with us, Lord. Take us, use us, and let our church be an extraordinary example for our city, for our state, and for our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.